Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agas Ramirez. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my patrons, Shireen, Chanda, Laura, Yati, Kara, and Mando. Maraming maraming salamat sa inyong suporta. Thank you for supporting this podcast. In this episode, we'll meet Chik Sitiwan Kumbang, who, according to some sources, was the ruler of the state of Kalantan from 1610 to 1677. Like the previous episode on Princesa Orduha of Tawalisi, fact meets fiction for Chik Sitiwan Kumbang and her daughter, Putri Sadong. There seems to be two versions of Chik City Wan Kumbang. The first one is this, as lifted from De La Santano's Transcoding Intangible Heritage, the Folklore Stories of Malaysia. Chik City Wan Kumbang is the daughter of King Hamad in Kelantan. At the age of four, she lost her father. As she grew, she was well taught in horse riding, archery, and weapons. She was known as a warrior princess, even with her good looks and mannerism. She rode into battles on her horse with a sword in hand and a group of women warriors. At the age of 25, she was crowned as the queen in the Kalantan kingdom. She was a fair and wise ruler. During her reign, afraid of attacks on the palace, she moved the kingdom from Mount Chintawangsa to Tagayong, now called Katere. It was told that she received a deer as a gift. She loved the animal so much that she used the deer as a symbol on coins at the time and later as the state symbol. She adopted Princess Sadong as she was unmarried. She wed Princess Sadong with King Abdullah to rule the kingdom. Chik Sitiwan Kambang then went back to Mount Chintawangsa and disappeared and no one ever heard of her fate afterwards. There are some very interesting elements here. The horse riding, archery, and weapons remind us of Ibn Batuta's account of Princess Orduha, and the deer could certainly be a parallel to Sita's iconic golden deer. Siti Wankambang is frequently depicted holding a small deer. We'll talk more about that later because it's kind of important. And of course, according to some legends, she possessed powers and never died, but became part of the mystical world. Now, the myth is not totally off, not at all. Khairuddin Aljunid, in the book Islam in Malaysia, an entwined history, writes that indeed, Siti Wan Kumbang was the daughter of Sultan Ahmad, who died in 1589 with no sons. Siti Wan Kumbang was only four years old at the time, so she was placed under the care of Raja Hussein of Johor, who took charge of the Kalantanese kingdom. His reign was interrupted by Siamese attacks in 1603 and severe losses of men made it impossible for him to regain full control of the kingdom, which soon split into many smaller principalities. One important thing to note is the effect of constant wars with the Siamese on documenting Kelantan's history. As a British colonial officer who studied Kelantan remarked, the early history of Kelantan is lost in obscurity owing to the fact no records have ever been kept. 
This is possibly due to the fact that everybody was too busy, engaged in local wars to have time for any records. On the other hand, if records had been in existence, those have probably been lost or destroyed by the victorious parties for reasons obvious. City Wan Kambang was crowned in 1610 with much pomp, splendor, and the introduction of Malay competitive sports such as the gasing or the Malay spinning top that soon became popular throughout the other Malay states. She ruled over a relatively small kingdom. This is because of constant wars and skirmishes with the Siamese and encroachments from Patani and Terengganu. Her locus of power was at Gunung Cintawangsa at Kuala Karai. However, no Siamese records recounted attacks made on her kingdom specifically. This, coupled with Siti Wan Kambang's rule that lasted 57 years, suggests that she was able to fend off various threats through either diplomacy or tribute. Possibly for the same reason, argues Aljunid, she was never married. Remaining single gave Siti Wan Kambang the time and space she needed to build her own power base. Because of this, comparisons have been made between her and Catherine the Great of Russia, Both chose to be single, at least officially, in order to focus fully on consolidating their rule. Siti Wan Kambang followed in the footsteps of the queens of Patani by building her kingdom around trading networks, which was, at the same time, a medium to spread Islam in the Malay states. If you want to know more about the queens of Patani, check out episode 2, Raja Hijau, the Malay Sultanate of Patani, now a part of Thailand, actually had a nearly unbroken line of queens from 1584 to 1718. The height of Patani's prosperity was during the reign of Raja Hijau from 1584 to 1616. The period of prosperity would last 100 years. The period of prosperity would last 100 years. Siti Wan Kambang's rule started in 1610, so they overlapped and would have certainly known about each other, if this timeline is correct. Siti Wan Kambang would also have known of the other queens, Raja Hijau's sisters, Raja Biru and Raja Umu, and eventually Raja Umu's daughter, Raja Kuning, who ruled until she was ousted in 1651. Back to Siti Wan Kambang. Among Arab traders and merchants, she was referred to as Paduka Siti, a title usually given to a highly respected monarch. She hosted and provided protection to textile traders who brought cloth from India China, Korea, Thailand, and Indonesia. These raw products were woven into Kelantan-styled batik and songket, which were then exported to other countries. During her reign, Kelantan developed into a trading center and a hub of the handloom weaving industry, steered largely by women until the late 20th century. Something that kept coming up was the Kijang coins, a particular set of coins associated with Chiksitiwan Kumbang, Kind of hard to find sources, but stay with me. According to blogs by local collectors, folklore suggests that some Arab traders presented a kijang to the queen. The kijang is the Indian muntjak, also called the southern red muntjak or barking deer. If you're wondering what that sounds like, that's a kijang. It's a small deer species native to South and Southeast Asia. It has soft, short, brownish or grayish hair, sometimes with creamy markings. 
Legend has it that she became very fond of her pet and had its likeness inscribed on the gold coins. Which is relatable for sure. I would definitely get my dog inscribed on a coin. So I found two articles about these coins, both from the 1930s. W. Linhan's 1934 article in the Journal of the Malayan Branch of the Royal Asiatic Society talked about obtaining coins dug up from the north bank of the Kelantan River at Kubang Labu, near the site of an old fort. Stories like this always made me want to become an archaeologist when I was younger. The coins had the Kijang on one side and the inscription, The Just Lord, on the other. He notes that similar coins have been found at Jaring near Patani, which makes sense because of the Mohammedan inscription and the close association of Patani with Kalantan. Kalantan royalty have always described themselves as belonging to the same clan as Patani. The second article is from 1939 by Anker Rentse, same journal. He discussed in Tolkien-level detail the seven distinct types of coins with an animal pictured in different postures, He believes the original coin is the animal with the salivary flow from its mouth, a reference to the sacred bull of India. This salivary flow also indicates supernatural power in the Kelantan shadow plays. He thinks most of the coins depict a bull rather than a kijang, but some of them do have the longer neck characteristic of a deer. He spends some time discussing the tales of the animals. You can read this article on the Patreon. He mentioned that there is also a sun and a crescent moon present in some of the specimens he obtained. And this is important because in 1964, Bank Negara Malaysia adopted this motif, the Kijang Omas, or the gold deer, as its official logo. It's a deer standing alert with a sun and a crescent moon directly above it. The sun symbolizes power and the crescent moon represents Islam. So when you see this logo in Malaysia, that's the story behind it. After the break, we'll talk about the end of Siti Wan Kambang's rule, her daughter Putri Sadong, and Makyung, a Malay traditional dance drama said to have been performed during Chik Siti Wan Kambang's reign. You've heard of the terms colonization or decolonization in bits and pieces. But do you find European colonization too broad and too complicated to get into? Well, there is now a podcast for you. Join me, Fidelity, on an introduction through the history of colonization. We will cover not just the major wars and conquests that took place, but also the perspectives of people who have been neglected in the grand Eurocentric narrative of discovery in colonial lands. You can find the History of Colonization podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. After more than half a century of uninterrupted rule, Chiksitiwan Kambang abdicated her throne in favor of her adopted daughter, Putri Sadong. This takes us to the second part of the story, Putri Sadong's legacy, and it's extremely interesting. Listen to this. It was believed that a princess, the daughter of Sultan Jambal, was brought up by Chess City under mystical surroundings of Bukit Marak after Putri Sadong's mother passed away. Chess City then matched the princess with Raja Abdullah, 
and after their marriage, they lived on Bukit Marak. Putri Sadong was forced to leave Bukit Marak with the king of Siam, who threatened to kill her husband. Raja Abdullah, in turn, had vowed not to remarry and waited for her return. After years of waiting, Raja Abdullah took another bride, and when Putri Sadong returned to Bukit Marak, she found her husband had a new wife, and so she killed him in a fit of rage with a golden hairpin. After the incident, Putri Sadong left Bukit Marak and disappeared. There's a lot to process here. According to Cairo Dinal Junyed, there are three major sources for these stories. Riwayat Kelantan, or the history of Kelantan, Hikayat Putri Sadong, the story of Princess Sadong, and Hikayat Siri Kelantan, the story of Siri Kelantan. They all document that Putri Sadong was indeed abducted four years into her rule by a Thai king, possibly King Narai of Siam. This event marked the end of female rule in Kelantan. Now, I'm sure you're wondering about that hairpin. How do you kill somebody with a hairpin? Maud Kasim H.J. Ali, in the book Traditional Malaysian Jewelry, has this to say. According to oral accounts handed down from earlier generations, it was common for strong-minded women to wear weapons such as krambit or small sickle-shaped daggers or lawi ayam, tiny curved daggers, as hairpins. Because the law prohibited the use of weapons by women, they used hairpins as means of self-defense when their safety or honor were threatened. Even when jewelry makers shortened and reshaped them, the hairpins nevertheless continued to make effective stabbing weapons. According to an account by a bomo or a medicine man to the Kalantan royalty, those who are skilled in the art of making themselves invulnerable should fear being stabbed with a gold hairpin during a fight since such an instrument can pierce their magic and vulnerability. So the hairpin part, totally possible. I also found Lawi Ayam for sale on Carousel in case you want to look into incorporating that into your wardrobe. I even found a demonstration photo of how women would hide Lawi Ayam in their hair. I'm posting that on the Patreon. Of course, there are more mysterious or mythical versions of Chiksitiwan Kambang and Putri Sadong's life. In another version of the story, Raja Abdullah decapitated Putri Sadong after a heated argument. She was, however, brought back to life when fragrant water kept by Sitiwan Kambang was sprinkled onto her body. This perception carries on today. Some Muslims in Kelantan believe that Chiksitiwan Kambang had magical powers that lived beyond her lifetime. She is thus often called upon by shamans to cure diseases and to ward off evil spirits. Putri Sadong is also still very much in public consciousness. In 2015, she was the subject of the world's first Malay contemporary opera, which combined the Malaysian makyong, which is a traditional form of instrumental music, with dance drama from Kelantan, and gamelan, also a traditional ensemble of music made up predominantly of percussive instruments. Rosdin Subo of the University of Malaya argues that Makyung is the oldest dance theater in Southeast Asia. He came to this conclusion through the analysis of historical records and studies and opinions about stories and elements in the performance structure. He believes that it began as early as 1181 when it was performed by the Mon Khmer tribe from the Kingdom of Patani. However, he also wrote that Makyung was performed in the form of a healing ritual 
Mayan Putri during the rule of Siti Wan Kembang in 1300. I did find that there was some dispute over when her rule really was. Some accounts believe she ruled in the 14th century, but our main sources pretty much agreed in the 1600s. Subo also believes that it was performed during the reign of Raja Hijau and her siblings. Again, Raja Hijau and the story of the colorful queens of Patani is really interesting. Go check out episode 2. In 2009, Bukit Marak, the site where the legendary Putri Sadong was said to have resided, was in local news because it was being threatened by local villagers cutting the hill and selling the earth. Situated in Katere, about 24 kilometers south of Kotabaru, Bukit Marak is one of the last hillocks in the district. According to the article, apart from the possible loss of the hill, continued excavation of the earth would also bring untold dangers like landslides and mudslides during the monsoon season. Kalantan's tourism director at the time, Muhammad Saki Taib, urged the government to save Bukit Marak as it had the potential to become a tourist attraction due to the connection with Putri Sadong. I wasn't able to find more on this, so feel free to send me updates on that one. And now we'll end with this. In 2017, a monodrama by accomplished theater actor and director Sabra Shaikh entitled Putri Sadong was staged in Kuala Lumpur and New Delhi. It was a modern traditional show with music played on traditional instruments and songs sung in English. It's always inspiring when modern creators and artists take inspiration from legends like this. If you know of any more, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram or Twitter and I'll look into them. Maybe we can do an episode. Go check out Putri Sadong on Masakini Marketing's official channel. Producing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do, consider joining our Patreon like Shireen, Chanda, Laura, Yati, Kara, and Mando. Thank you again, Shireen and Chanda just joined this month. Um, If you want to join us on the Patreon, you can give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, access to the Close Friends Instagram stories, and a shout out at the end of the next episode. And if you can't join us on Patreon, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works too. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStoryCEAPod. If you have a podcast, a blog, um, or anything related to Southeast Asia or Southeast Asian women's history, please feel free to drop me a line on any of my contact details. Um, Let's talk about cross promotions and things like that. The next episode is about the Cham, a matriarchal and matrilineal society descended from the refugees of the Kingdom of Champa, whose members now mostly reside in Vietnam and Cambodia. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. This podcast was written, hosted, and edited by Agas Ramirez. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Sampai jumpa lagi!